Welcome to A-Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on neurodegenerative disease research so that you can stay up to date with the newest findings. Every month, our team of scientists will sort and organize the titles into themes and present shortened versions of the abstracts. We'll make sure to mention the title, the journal, the first author, and the last author for each publication. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast helpful. This episode is part of the Alzheimer's disease series and is focused on disease mechanisms. My name is Sarah Dwedi, and I will be hosting this episode along with Ellen Kosh, Asad Lone, and Nala Coleman. We tried to make it easier for you by sorting the papers under different themes. This includes neuroinflammation slash glial cells, protein aggregation and post-translational modification, cell metabolism, cerebrovascular changes, synaptic transmission, and autophagy. First, I'll be covering the papers that made it under uh, my favorite themes, neuroinflammation and glial cells. This month, under neuroinflammation and glial cells, we have identified four clusters of papers. The first one being microglia and amyloid beta, then astrocytes, peripheral inflammation, and last, we have a few papers under other indicators of inflammation in the AD brain. So starting with microglia and amyloid beta, the first paper covered here is called TREM2 deletion reduces late-stage amyloid plaque accumulation, elevates the A-beta-42 to A-beta-40 ratio, and exacerbates axonal dystrophy and dendritic spine loss in the PS2-APP Alzheimer's mouse model. Seems like the title alone is summarizing it, hey? This paper was published in Journal of Neuroscience by Mayland and all and Hansen. To further the understanding of TREM2's role in AD, this group used PS2-APP transgenic mice with TREM2 knocked out between 4 and 22 months. Compared to mice of the same strain with a functional TREM2, they found that microglial clustering around amyloid beta plaques was reduced. Plaques were more diffuse, and the A-beta-42 to A-beta-40 ratio was elevated in the TREM2 knockout mice. The amount of soluble and fibrillar amyloid beta oligomers were also elevated. In addition, neuritic dystrophies were intensified in the knockout mice. This suggests that the TREM2-dependent packaging of amyloid beta into dense plaques is a protective microglial activity and may limit the exposure of neurons to toxic amyloid beta species. Second paper was published in Journal of Neuroscience by Schmitz et al. and Poirier and is called Longitudinal Basal Forebrain Degeneration Interacts with TREM2-C3 Biomarkers of Inflammation in Pre-Symptomatic Alzheimer's Disease. The starting hypothesis for this work was that cholinergic input originating from the basal forebrain might regulate inflammatory immune responses to both tau and amyloid in the aging brain. This group used the ADNI dataset, ADNI standing for Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative. So they use this dataset to track structural MRI changes and biomarkers of inflammation in neurotypical and preclinical cognitively healthy subgroups. The preclinical group was differentiated based on their relative concentration of phosphorylated tau and amyloid in cerebrospinal fluid. This group had greater accumulation of soluble TREM2 in the CSF and higher peripheral blood complement C3 expression, which were both associated with loss of basal forebrain volume. 
Notably, preclinical APOE4 carriers exhibited the largest loss of basal forebrain volume and highest C3 expression. Overall, the authors suggest that an age-related loss of cholinergic neuromodulation may remove key checks on microglial reactivity to amyloid and tau. The third paper covered in this cluster is called Abrogation of Type 1 Interferon Signaling Alters the Microglial Response to A-Beta-1242. It was published in scientific reports by Moose and all and Crack. Efforts to phenotypically characterize microglia within AD identify distinct populations associated with signaling of type 1 interferon cytokines. These cytokines are critical to the process of neuroinflammation. Yet, how this signaling affects underlying microglial function is yet to be fully elucidated. In the study, the researchers demonstrate that A-beta-1242 exposure increases bioactive levels of type 1 interferon produced by primary microglia, alongside increased expression of type 1 interferon-related genes. Primary microglia isolated from brains of APPPS1 mice with ablated type 1 interferon signaling showed an increase in phagocytic ability to uptake FITC A-beta 1 to 42. Correlative assessment of plaque sizes in HAPPPS1 AD mice with abrogated type 1 interferon signaling show unchanged deposition levels. Microglia from these mice did, however, show alterations in morphology. This data highlights the role of type 1 interferon signaling within microglia and identifies a role in phagocytosis. As such, the authors suggest targeting both microglial and global type 1 interferon signaling, and this would present as a novel therapeutic strategy for AD management. Next is a paper published in Biochemical and Biophysical Research Communications by Cho and al. and Yoon. It's called TLQP-21 Mediated Activation of Microglial BV2 Cells Promotes Clearance of Extracellular Fibril Amyloid Beta. TLQP-21 is cleaved from VGF, precursor protein, VGF being nerve growth factor inducible. In this study, the authors report that TLQP-21 enhanced fibrillar amyloid beta phagocytosis and degradation by microglial BV2 cells, and this was done via a C3-AR1 dependent mechanism. Moreover, TLQP-21 stimulated amyloid beta degradation by enhancing lysosome activity, thereby enhancing fibular amyloid beta clearance. So this was all under the cluster of microglia and amyloid beta. And moving to uh, astrocytes, there's one paper here called Type 1 Interleukin-4 Signaling Obliterates Mouse Astroglia in Vivo, but not in Vitro. It was published in Frontiers in Cell and Developmental Biology, by Mashkarian et al. and Kidzel. The aim of the study was to find a way to induce neural stem cell proliferation and ultimately neurogenesis, which could have wide implications in the AD field. This group used single cell sequencing to determine whether the IL-4 STAT-6 signaling identified in zebrafish and 3D cultures of human astroglia extended to mouse glia. Using the APPPS1 DE9 mouse model, they found that the IL-4 receptor is not expressed and the signaling does not occur. In fact, 
when they induce the signaling with lentivirus-mediated expression of the IL-4 receptor, it was detrimental to astroglia in vivo. This indicated that there may be an evolutionary mechanism underlying the loss of neuroregenerative ability of the brain. Next cluster is peripheral inflammation. And the first paper here was published in Bioscience Reports by Liu Enal and Wang, and it's called Peripheral Inflammation Promotes Brain Tau Transmission Via Disrupting Blood-Brain Barrier. This group studied the propagation of tau following peripheral inflammation induced by an IP injection of lipopolysaccharide, LPS. To do so, they used mice with brain medial interrhinal cortex-specific overexpressing P301L human tau protein. They found that both acute and chronic LPS injection promoted tau spread from the medial interrhinal cortex to the hippocampus, and that the chronic LPS-induced transmission was still apparent after blocking microglia activation. Disruption of the blood-brain barrier integrity seemed to be the mechanism of transmission as glucocorticoid administration attenuated the tau spread. The second paper in this cluster is called New Mechanism of Neuroinflammation and Alzheimer's Disease. The activation of NLRP3 inflammasome mediated by gut microbiota. It was published in Neuropsychopharmacology and Biological Psychiatry by Shen Al and Han. In this paper, the gut microbiota from AD patients were transplanted into APPPS1 double transgenic mice. As a result, the expression of NLRP3 was increased in the intestinal tract of mice. The expression level of inflammatory factors in peripheral blood were also increased. The cognitive impairment was also more severe, with activation of microglia in the central hippocampus of mice and increased expression of neuroinflammatory factors. These effects were mitigated by the subsequent transplantation of healthy human gut microbiota or oral administration of minocycline. Therefore, improving the composition of gut microbiota in AD patients can further attenuate neuroinflammation, which is considered as a novel idea for AD treatment. The third paper under peripheral inflammation is called Complement Factor H Levels Are Decreased and Correlated with Serum C-Reactive Protein in Late-Onset Alzheimer's Disease. It was published in Archivos de Neuropsychiatria by Luenal and Zhao. This group investigated the clinical significance of human complement factor H, CFH, in patients with late-onset AD. CFH was decreased in late-onset AD patients compared to MCI and healthy controls, and serum levels of CFH was correlated with serum levels of C-reactive protein, but not with a mini-mental state examination score and brain-derived neurotrophic factor levels. This concludes this cluster, and... Now we're moving on to other indicators of inflammation in the AD brain. And under this cluster, we only have one paper. Uh, it was published in the Journal of Neuroimmune Pharmacology by Balch Eyal and Agrawal. The paper is called Immune and Inflammatory Determinants Underlying Alzheimer's Disease Pathology. This group set out to characterize the link between peripheral immune changes in the course of the AD pathology and cognitive deficits. In the serum of AD and MCI patients, they found increased A-beta-specific IgG antibody, 
and observed a negative correlation between reduced IgM levels and impaired memory consolidation. These observations were also validated in the 5XFAD mouse model. Mm. Am I saying this right? Some people might call this the 5XFAD, mm, 5 time FAD uh, mouse model. Uh, apologize, I've never read this out loud. So um, they used the 5XFAD mouse model. They found that inflammatory cytokine IL-21 that is involved in antibody class switching was elevated in AD plasma, correlated positively with the IgG antibody levels, and proportions of T follicle, follicular helper cells that secrete IL-21 were increased in the spleen of AD mice. In contrast, B1 cells that produce IgM were reduced in AD mice. Altogether, this data suggests that AD patients mount a strong immune response against amyloid beta, which is inefficient at clearing the peptides and results in exacerbated inflammation that can contribute to AD neuropathology and cognitive dysfunction. Last, we have one paper we just put under other that did not fit the clusters that we identified. This paper is called Impaired Innate Immunity Mechanisms in the Brain of Alzheimer's Disease. It was published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences by Romagnoli and all and the Castro. The study focused on genes involved in antimicrobial defenses, especially against virus infections, investigating the AD microbial brain immune response. They looked at IRF7, MED23, IL28B, and interferon gamma genes. And these were analyzed in hippocampus and temporal cortex brain samples from AD and non-demented controls. Both subjects were genotyped for APOE, IRF7, MED23, and IL28B gene polymorphisms. Findings suggest that AD brains show impaired innate antimicrobial gene expression profiles and individual genetic makeup, such as positivity for the APOE E4 and IRF7A alleles. And these might affect brain immune efficiency. So this is all we have for our selection of papers for the month of February under neuroinflammation and glial cells. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Ellen on protein aggregation and post-translational modifications, as well as protein-protein interactions. First, in our section on protein aggregation, post-translational modification, and protein-protein interactions, we have a couple of papers on APP processing. First, we have a paper titled Opposite Changes in APP Processing and Human A-Beta Levels in Rats Carrying Either a Protective or a Pathogenic APP Mutation. The authors are first author Tambini and last author Didamio, and this one is published in eLife. To study APP protective pathogenic mechanisms, this group generated knock-in rats. The APP rats carried a mutation near the base 1 cleavage site. This resulted in alpha cleavage being favored over beta processing, which is protective from sporadic dementia. The APP rats carried the pathogenic Swedish mutation that promoted beta cleavage. These opposite effects on APP beta-alpha processing suggest that protection from and pathogenesis of dementia depend upon combinatorial and opposite alterations in APP metabolism rather than simply on A-beta levels. 
Our next paper is titled Proximity Ligation Assay Reveals Both Pre- and Postsynaptic Localization of the APP Processing Enzymes, ADAM10 and BASE1, in rat and human adult brain. This paper first author is Lundgren and last author is Frickman, and this is published in BMC Neuroscience. Using Brightfield proximity ligation assays, they investigated the in situ synaptic localization of ADAM10 and BASE1 in rat and human adult brains using both pre and postsynaptic markers. They found that the alpha secretase ADAM10 and the beta secretase BASE1 are located in both the pre- and postsynaptic compartments in intact brain sections. These findings increase our understanding of the regulation of APP processing, thereby facilitating development of more specific treatment strategies. Now we have a few papers on the topic of amyloid beta aggregation. First, we have a paper titled Copper Accumulation and the Effect of Chelation Treatment on cerebral amyloid angiopathy compared to parenchymal amyloid plaques. First author is Shu and last author Nostrand, and this is published in Metalomics. This group sought to characterize the involvement of copper accumulation in parenchymal and cerebral vessel amyloid de deposits. They found that hum in human AD brains, copper was preferentially accumulated in amyloid-containing cerebral vessels compared to parenchymal deposits. They then tested the copper chelator tetrathiomolybdate in 12-month-old TG2576 mice and found that the 5-month treatment significantly reduced both CAA and parenchymal plaque load, but only reduced copper levels in parenchymal plaques, not in cerebral vessel deposits. Our next paper is titled Transthyretin inhibits primary and secondary nucleations of amyloid beta peptide aggregation and reduces the toxicity of its oligomers. The first author is Gadami and last author is Chiti, and the journal is Biomacromolecules. In this study, the researchers explored the mechanism by which the transport protein, transthyretin, which I'll be referring to as TTR from now on, acts as an A-beta scavenger in the brain. They monitored the aggregation process of A-beta-40 by thioflavin T fluorescence in the presence or absence of different concentrations of preformed seed aggregates of A-beta-40. This was for wild-type tetrameric TTR and of a variant engineered to be stable as a monomer called MTTR. Both wild-type TTR and MTTR were found to inhibit specific steps of the process of A-beta-40 fibril formation, which are primary and secondary nucleations without affecting the elongation of the resulting fibrils. Moreover, the analysis showed that both wild-type TTR and MTTR bind to A-beta-40 oligomers formed in the aggregation reaction and inhibit their conversion into the shortest fibrils able to elongate. Using biophysical methods, TTR was found to change some aspects of its overall structure following such interactions with A-beta-40 oligomers, as well as with the oligomers of A-beta-42, while maintaining its overall topology. The authors concluded that the predominant mechanism by which TTR exerts its protective role lies in the binding of TTR to the A-beta oligomers, 
and in inhibiting primary and secondary nucleation processes, which limits both the toxicity of A-beta oligomers and the ability of the fibrils to proliferate. Our next paper is titled Polyamines, and its analog modulates amyloid fibrillation in lysosomes, a comparative investigation. The first author is Kabir, last author Kumar, and this is published in Biochemica e Biophysica Acta. The authors report the comparative interactions of lysosomes with the polyamine analog 1-naphthyl-acetylspermine in comparison with the biogenic polyamines through spectroscopy, calorimetry, imaging, and docking techniques. Their main findings are that the affinity of binding varied as spermidines was higher than 1-naphthyl-acetylspermines which was higher than spermines. The biogenic polyamines accelerated the rate of fibrillation significantly, whereas the analog inhibited the rate of fibrillation to a considerable extent. Also, the naphthyl group of the analog makes hydrophobic contacts with TRP62 and TRP63 of the lysosome. Our next paper is titled Interaction of A-beta-42 with Membranes triggers the self-assembly into oligomers. First author is Banerjee, and last author is Lyabchenko, and this was published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences. This group demonstrate that A-beta-40 self-assembles into aggregates on membrane bilayers at low nanomolar concentrations. Additionally, physiological ionic conditions significantly enhance on-membrane aggregation leading to the rapid formation of oligomers. Molecular dynamics simulations demonstrate that the transient membrane A-beta interaction dramatically changes the protein conformation, facilitating the assembly of dimers. The results indicate peptide membrane interaction is the critical step towards oligomer formation at physiologically low protein concentrations. Our last paper on A-beta aggregation is called Aggregation Mechanism of Alzheimer's Amyloid Beta Peptide Mediated by Alpha-Strand Alpha-Sheet Structure. The first author is Balu Puri, last author Kane, and this was published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences. Using molecular dynamic simulations, this group finds that A-beta may adopt the alpha-strand conformation by peptide plane flipping. Multiple alpha strands interact through hydrogen bonding to form alpha sheets, and this structure acts as a nucleus that initiates and promotes aggregation and fibrillation of A-beta. Now, here are a few papers on tau phosphorylation and aggregation. First, a paper titled, Characterizing the Spatial and Temporal Brain Metal Profile in a Mouse Model of Tauopathy. First author is Rao, and last author Adlard, and this was published in Metalomics. This group sought to characterize the spatial and temporal brain metalomic profile of transgenic mice. They wanted to elucidate the potential role of iron in facilitating hyperphosphorylation and aggregation of tau. To do this, they used the RTG tau P301L4510 mouse model of tauopathy. Using mass spectrometry, they found that there was an age-dependent increase in brain iron levels in both wild-type and transgenic mice, 
and age-related changes in iron-bound to metalloproteins, such as ferritin. The next paper is titled Self-Hydration of AKT Triggers Tau Phosphorylation by Activating Glycogen Synthase Kinase 3-Beta in Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Sen, and last author is Sen, and this was published in PNAS USA. In the context of tau hyperphosphorylation, this group sought to investigate why AKT kinase is unable to inactivate glycogen synthase 3-beta via phosphorylation to ultimately stop the tau phosphorylation at S199 in Alzheimer's disease. They found that this was due to a self-hydration, so that's S-U-L-F hydration, of AKT at C77 that prevented the AKT-mediated phosphorylation of JSK3-beta. They further connected this to inflammation by showing that the increase in intracellular hydrogen sulfide available for self-hydration of AKT was due to the induction of IL-1-beta. They validated these findings with a transgenic AKT knock-in mouse model that lacked self-hydrated AKT and also expressed human tau mutant P301L, demonstrating that the S199 phosphorylation of tau was inhibited as GSK3-beta phosphorylation was regained. Further, they identified self-hydration of AKT in postmortem AD brains, suggesting that this post-translational modification is highly relevant in the context of AD. Next, we have a paper titled Post-Translational Modifications Mediate the Structural Diversity of Tauopathy Strains. The first author is Eric Hamia and last author Fitzpatrick, and the journal that this was published in is Cell. In this study, researchers used cryo-electron microscopy, which I'll refer to as cryo-EM, to determine the structures of tau filaments from cortico-basal degeneration, referred to as CBD, human brain tissue. Cryo-EM and mass spectrometry of tau filaments from CBD reveal that this conformer is heavily decorated with post-translational modifications, enabling the researchers to map these post-translational modifications directly onto the structures. By comparing the structures and post-translational modifications of tau filaments from CBD and Alzheimer's disease, they found that ubiquination of tau can mediate interprotofilament interfaces. The authors propose a structure-based model in which crosstalk between post-translational modifications influences tau filament structure, contributing to the structural diversity of tauopathy strains. They suggest that this approach establishes a framework for further elucidating the relationship between the structures of polymorphic fibrils, including their post-translational modifications, and neurodegenerative disease. Next, we have a paper titled Binding of Metal-Ion-Induced Tau Oligomers to Lipid Surfaces is Enhanced by GSK3-beta-mediated phosphorylation. First author is Nublink, last author Levin, and this was published in ACS Chemical Neuroscience. This group sought to investigate the intercellular spreading of small tau oligomers. The group exposed either tau monomers or trivalent metal ion-induced tau oligomers to small neutral unilamellar vesicles in vitro. 
they found that only the oligomers were able to bind to neutral lipid surfaces. They also found that both oligomer formation and neutral lipid binding of the oligomers was enhanced by glycogen synthase kinase 3-beta-mediated tau phosphorylation. This suggests that there is a pathological gain of function in metal ion-induced tau oligomers of hyperphosphorylated tau, which may enable tau spreading. The next paper is titled Exploring the Interplay Between Fibrillization and Amorphous Aggregation Channels on the Energy Landscapes of Tau Repeat Isoforms. First author is Chen, and last author is Wallins, and this paper was published in PNAS. The author studied the energy landscapes of nucleation of the two different tau filament isoforms derived from patients with PICS and Alzheimer's disease. The landscapes for nucleating both fibril types contain classes of oligomers that differ in their structural details, which are discussed in detail in this paper. The landscape topography suggests that there must be significant structural reordering or backtracking to transit from the amorphous aggregation channel to the fibrillization channel. Now we have a paper titled Tau Tubulin Kinase 1 an amyloid beta peptide induced phosphorylation of collapsin response mediator protein 2 and enhanced neurite degeneration in Alzheimer's disease mouse models. The first and the last author are both Aikizu, and this was published in Acta Neuropathologica Communications. Collapsin response mediator protein 2, which I'll refer to as CRMP2, is a critical mediator of growth cone collapse. In this study, CRMP2 is identified as a new downstream target of tau tubulin kinase 1. It is found to accumulate in the entorhinal cortex region of early-stage Alzheimer's disease in TG2576 mice. These results suggest that tau tubulin kinase 1 and A-beta induce phosphorylation of CRMP2, which may be causative for the neurite degeneration and somal accumulation of phosphorylated tau in the enterrhinal cortex neurons. This indicates a critical involvement of tau tubulin kinase 1 and phosphorylated CRMP2 in the early AD pathology. Next, we have a paper on amyloid beta tau interactions. This paper is titled, A-beta monomer induces phosphorylation of tau at serine 214 through beta 2 AR PKA JNK signaling pathway. The authors are first author Wu, last author Wang, and this was published in the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology. In this study, the authors aim to understand the effects of A-beta-142 monomers, which I'll refer to as A-beta-M, on neurons and other cell types in the brain. They found that A-beta-M expression slowly induced cell apoptosis within 48 hours after transfection, and that beta-2 adrenergic receptors interacted with A-beta-M in pull-down and yeast to hybrid assays. They also found that A-beta-M played a major role in inducing phosphorylation of many proteins, tau at serine 214, C-Jun N-terminal kinase, or JNK, at threonine 183 and tyrosine 185, and P70 ribosomal protein S6 kinase, at threonine 389. They also discovered 
that beta-2 adrenergic receptor and G-protein-coupled receptor kinase 2 and protein kinase A mediated the phosphorylation of tau and JNK. A-beta-M induced phosphorylation of tau at serine 214 through both the beta-2 adrenergic receptor cyclic AMP PKA JNK and the beta-2 adrenergic receptor JRK signaling pathways. Mitogen-activated protein kinase mediated the phosphorylation of P70S6K induced by A-beta-M. Therefore, A-beta monomers seem to have multiple cellular effects that could be important to the pathology of Alzheimer's disease. Last in this section, we have a paper titled Transient Upregulation of Translational Efficiency in Prodromal and Early Symptomatic TG2576 Mice contributes to A-beta pathology. First author is Boreka, last author Amasari Tiol, and this was published in Neurobiology of Disease. The authors performed a longitudinal polyribosome profile analysis of APP mRNA and protein in total hippocampal extracts from TG2576 mice. Findings demonstrate that overall translation is upregulated in prodromal and early symptomatic mice, and pharmacological downregulation of overall translation in early symptomatic mutants blocked the emergence of the AD-like phenotype. And that's everything for today on protein aggregation, post-translational modification, and protein-protein interactions. Now, as said, we'll be covering the papers that made it under the theme cell metabolism, and this includes mitochondrial dysfunction, lipids, and hormones. The first paper that we're going to be talking about in the cell metabolism sub-theme is titled Impairment of PGC1-alpha-mediated mitochondrial biogenesis precedes mitochondrial dysfunction and Alzheimer's pathology in the three times transgenic mouse model of Alzheimer's disease. This study by Singalani et al. was published in the journal Experimental Gerontology. This paper explores the role of mitochondrial biogenesis in the three times transgenic mouse model of Alzheimer's disease. At early ages, three times transgenic mice show reduced expression of the transcription factors phosphorylated Krebs, PGC1-alpha, NRF1, and TFAM and also show reduced mRNA expression levels of PKAC-alpha, Kreb, PGC1-alpha, NRF1, NRF2, and TFAM at ages before significant amyloid beta oligomer deposition occurs. There is a decrease in VDAC2 expression, a protein related to mitochondrial content and function at later ages in mice. The author suggests that impairments in mitochondrial biogenesis signaling is mediated by PGC1-alpha at early ages and likely results in mitochondrial dysfunction and Alzheimer's disease pathology at later ages in life. The next study we're going to be looking at is titled Effect of Amyloid Toxicity or Chronic Cerebral Hypoperfusion on Brain Insulin Resistance in a Rat Model with Intracerebroventricular Streptozotocene. This study that came from Choi et al. was published in Brain Research Bulletins. In this study by Choi et al., we investigate how brain insulin resistance may tie into the amyloid and vascular pathogenesis of Alzheimer's disease. The experimental groups used in this study mimicked amyloid pathogenesis following intracerebroventricular or ICV injections of amyloid beta 
or vascular pathogenesis following permanent ligation of the bilateral common carotid arteries in Y-star rats that had undergone ICV injections of streptozotocene. Brain insulin resistance was induced in both models, and cognitive impairments as well as tau-associated pathology in the hippocampus were observed in both. Neuroinflammation in the white matter and hippocampus as well as amyloid-associated pathology in the hippocampus was aggravated by an interaction between brain insulin resistance and vascular pathogenesis. Overall, this study shed light on the potential interactions of different pathologies related to late-onset Alzheimer's disease. The third study we're looking at is titled Synaptic Mitochondrial Dysfunction and Septin Accumulation are Linked to Complement-Mediated Synapse Loss in an Alzheimer's Disease Animal Model. This study that comes from Geoffrey et al. published in Cellular and Molecular Life Sciences. This study conducted systematic proteomic examinations on synaptosomes prepared from an amyloidogenic mouse model of Alzheimer's disease, APPPS1. The results showed the decline of mitochondrial functions in the C1Q-tagged synapses of APPPS1 mice, extensive alterations in the level of septin protein family members, which are known to dynamically form highly organized pre- and postsynaptic supramolecular structures, thereby affecting synaptic transmission. The group also found that synapses with considerable amounts of septin-3 and septin-5 show increased accumulation of C1Q in APPPS1 mice compared to the wild-type mice. These results imply deterioration of synaptic mitochondrial functions and alterations in the organization of synaptic septins are associated with complement-dependent synapse loss in Alzheimer's disease. The final study that we're going to be looking at is titled AMP-activated protein kinase, AMPK, regulates astrocyte oxidative metabolism by balancing TCA cycle dynamics. This study was published in GLIA by Voss et al. Considering AMPK is the metabolic master switch in the periphery, this group set out to characterize the role of AMPK in the regulation of metabolism in astrocytes. They used C13-labeled energy substrates in both hippocampal slices and astrocytes, and through mass spectrometry found that the activation of AMPK increases glycolysis and the capacity of the TCA cycle through the activity of pyruvate carboxylase. They found that the activation also led to increased glutamate oxidation via pyruvate recycling, and they further demonstrated with a mouse knockout model that this regulatory mechanism is induced by glutamate dehydrogenase. Given that AMPK functionality is reduced in Alzheimer's disease, this work is highly relevant in elucidating the role of metabolism in this disease. Next up, I said we'll be covering the section on neuronal plasticity and then move on to a few papers that we clustered under cerebrovascular changes. Here, we're going to be looking at two subthemes. We're going to be looking at neuronal plasticity, which encompasses cell proliferation, differentiation, maturation, survival, and cell death and protection. And the second subtheme we're going to be looking at is cerebrovascular changes. The first paper under neurogenesis and cell proliferation is titled Arginase Inhibition Supports Survival and Differentiation of Neuronal Precursors in Adult Alzheimer's Disease Mice. This study was 
published in International Journal of Molecular Sciences by Polis et al. To evaluate the effects of arginase inhibition on neurogenesis, the group chronically administered norvaline to triple transgenic and wild-type mice and applied an advanced immunohistochemistry approach with several biomarkers and bright field microscopy. They found a significant reduction in the density of neuronal progenitors, which demonstrates a different phenotype in the hippocampi of triple transgenic AD mice compared to wild-type mice. In addition, norvaline treatment led to an elevation in the immunopositivity of the polycelated neuronal cell adhesion molecule, which suggests an improvement in the newborn neuron survival rate. They also identified a significant increase in the hippocampal microtubule-associated protein 2 stain intensity. The next study we're looking at is titled A Soft Mechanical Phenotype of SHSY5Y Neuroblastoma and Primary Human Neurons is Resilient to Oligomeric Amyloid Beta 1-42 Injury. This study by Kruger et al. was published in ACS Chemical Neuroscience. In this paper, the group sought to understand how extracellular matrix stiffness and dimensionality may modulate amyloid beta toxicity. They cultured SHSY5Y human neuroblastoma and primary human cortical neurons on soft and stiff 2D polyacrylamide matrices or in a 3D collagen gel suspension. They exposed each culture to increasing concentrations of oligomeric or fibrillated amyloid beta-42, and used atomic force microscopy to evaluate actin restructuring in live cells. They found that only with a stiff matrix or exposure to oligomeric amyloid beta, there was an increase in F-actin polymerization and cell stiffening. Cells plated onto a compliant matrix showed a significant recovery of viability compared to those cultured in traditional tissue culture plastic. This study suggests that the cell extracellular matrix interface can modulate amyloid toxicity in neurons and raises the question of whether matrix-mediated pathways may be a new therapeutic target. The next study we're looking at is titled Differential Annualized Rates of Hippocampal Subfields, Atrophy in Aging, and Future Alzheimer's Clinical Syndrome. This study by Nadal et al. was published in Neurobiology of Aging. Here, Nadal et al., investigated a cohort of non-demented older adults with a 14-year clinical follow-up. MRI at baseline and four years later were assessed to measure the annualized rates of hippocampal subfield atrophy. They found that the C4A dentate gyrus was significantly more affected than the other subfields in the whole population. The rate of CA1 to 3 atrophy was associated with an increased risk of developing Alzheimer's clinical syndrome over time, independently of age, gender, educational level, and APOE4 genotype. These results illustrate the natural history of hippocampal subfields atrophy during aging and Alzheimer's disease by showing that the dentate gyrus is the most vulnerable subfield to the effects of aging. On the other hand, the coronoammonis is the primary target of amyloid beta pathophysiological processes years before symptom onset. The next study is titled Angiopoietin 1 Accelerates Alzheimer's Disease via FOXA2-PEN2-APP Pathway in APPPS1 Mice. 
This study by Peng et al. was published in Life Sciences. Here, Peng et al. addressed the role and molecular mechanisms of angiopoietin-1, a regulatory angiogenesis protein in Alzheimer's disease. They suggest that angiopoietin-1 aggravated the accumulation of amyloid beta-42 and promoted cognitive decline in APPPS1 mice. The upregulation of APP-beta is essential for amyloid beta-42 production in N2A cells overexpressing the mutational human APP gene. This was done in N2A APP695 cells, while downregulation of PEN2 could reduce APP expression. Silencing of FOXA2 led to inhibition of APP expression as well as decrease of amyloid beta-42 contents. In conclusion, angiopoietin-1 has an accelerative effect on Alzheimer's disease by increasing the secretion of amyloid-42 via FOXA2-PEN2 APP pathway. The final study in this subtheme is titled Beta-Secretase-1-Dependent Amyloid Precursor Protein Processing Promotes Excessive Vascular Sprouting Through Notch 3 Signaling. This study by Durant et al. was published in Cell Death and Disease. The group reports that increased endothelial sprouting in human APP transgenic mice, TGCRND8, tissue is dependent on beta-secretase base 1 processing of APP. Higher levels of amyloid beta processing in this tissue coincides with decreased notch 3 JAG1 signaling. Overproduction of endothelial philopodia and increased number of vascular parasites. This group also used a novel in vitro approach to study sprouting angiogenesis in transgenic CRND8 organotypic brain slice cultures and found that base 1 inhibition normalizes excessive endothelial philopodia and restores notch 3 signaling. Next, Nyla will go over our section on synaptic transmission. All right, so we have a selection of five papers in synaptic transmission. Most of these are in hippocampal cell cultures, and let's start with one by first author Kim, last author Cho. And this was published in Molecular Brain, and its title is Nicotinamide Attenuates the Decrease in Dendritic Spine Density in Hippocampal Primary Neurons from 5X FAD Mice, an Alzheimer's Disease Animal Model. So this study investigated the alterations in metabolite profiles of the hippocampal tissues from wild type and from 5X familial AD or 5X FAD mice, which harbor five early onset familial AD mutations. The authors found that nicotinamide and adenosine monophosphate levels are significantly decreased in hippocampal tissue from 8 and 12 month old 5X FAD mice, while lysophosphatidylcholine or lyso-PC either at 16 to 0 or 18 to 0, and lysophosphatidylethanolamine, that's a hard one, so that's lyso-PE, uh, at 16 to 0 levels, so both of those were significantly increased. Treatment with nicotinamide attenuated the reduction in spine density in hippocampal primary neurons derived from 5X FAD mice, indicating a potential role of decreased hippocampal nicotinamide in the pathogenesis of AD. Okay, so the next study is microRNA-181A negatively modulates synaptic plasticity in hippocampal cultures, and its inhibition rescues memory deficits in a mouse model of Alzheimer's disease. The first author is Rodriguez Ortiz, and the last author is Kitazawa 
and I'm sorry, my pronunciation sucks. And this was published in Aging Cell. So in this paper, the researchers investigated the mechanisms by which the microRNA 181A, I'm just going to refer to this as 181A throughout the abstract, negatively modulates synaptic plasticity and memory. This was done in primary hippocampal cultures, and the authors found that an activity-dependent upregulation of the microRNA-regulating protein translin correlated with a reduction of 181A following chemical long-term potentiation, which induced upregulation of plasticity-related proteins, including GLUA2, and this is a predicted target of 181A. Additionally, amyloid beta treatment inhibited the long-term potentiation-dependent induction of translin and the subsequent reduction of 181A, and co-treatment with 181A antagomer effectively reversed the effects elicited by amyloid beta, but did not rescue translin levels. This suggests that the activity-dependent upregulation of translin is upstream of 181A. In mice, a learning episode markedly decreased 181A in the hippocampus and raised the protein levels of GLUA2. Lastly, the authors observed that inhibition of 181A alleviated memory deficits and increased GLUA2 and GLUA1 levels without restoring translin, and this was in a 3x transgenic Alzheimer's disease mouse model. Taken together, their results indicate that 181A is a major negative regulator of the cellular events that underlie synaptic plasticity in memory through AMPA receptors, and importantly, that amyloid beta disrupts this process by suppressing translin and thereby leading to synaptic dysfunction and memory impairments in AD. Okay, so this next study gives me a little bit of a break on the complicated words. Uh, the title is Synaptic Correlates of Anterograde Amnesia and Intact Retrograde Memory in a Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease. And the authors, the first author is Rizzello, last author Marchetti, and this was published in Current Alzheimer Research. So this study aimed to elucidate the cellular mechanisms responsible for impaired recent memories in the hippocampus and intact remote memories in the cortex in the TG2576 mouse model of AD. Using a contextual fear conditioning task, which I'll refer to as CFC, they found that there was a deficit in the formation of recent memories, but not in the recall of remote ones in this AD mouse model. They also recorded from acute hippocampal or anterior cingulate cortex slices, either after chronic fear conditioning or in a naive condition, and they found that CFC-induced changes in the AMPA to NMDA receptor ratios in hippocampal CA1 pyramidal neurons in wild-type but not in TG2576 mice one day post-training. In contrast, CFC-induced AMPA to NMDA ratio changes were present in the anterior cingulate cortex in both types of mice eight days post-training. They concluded that while synaptic plasticity at CA1 synapses in the hippocampus is lost, the intact plasticity in the anterior cingulate cortex contributes to the persistence of long-term memories in AD. Alright, so this next study is by first author Chung, last author Quag. And it's entitled Dissociation of Somatostatin and Parvalbumin Interneuron Circuit Dysfunction Underlying Hippocampal Theta and Gamma Oscillations Impaired by Amyloid Beta Oligomers in Vivo. And this was published in Brain Structure and Function. 
So with the aim of investigating the impairment of hippocampal theta and gamma oscillations observed by the accumulation of amyloid beta or A-beta oligomers in AD, this group studied somatostatin positive or SST and parvalbumin positive or PV hippocampal interneurons in a mouse model. Using A-beta oligomer-injected SST-Cree or PV-Cree mice, they found that optogenetic activation of channelrhodopsin 2 expressing SST or PV interneurons rescued the oscillation impairment observed following A-beta accumulation as measured by in vivo multi-electrode recordings. In acute hippocampal slices from A-beta oligomer-injected mice, they also found that SST interneurons specifically affected theta frequencies, whereas PV interneurons specifically affected gamma frequencies, and this had a downstream effect on their inhibitory input onto CA1 pyramidal neurons. Overall, this study reveals frequency-specific and interneuron subtype-specific presynaptic dysfunctions of SST and PV interneuron input to CA1 pyramidal neurons that may underlie A-beta oligomer-induced impairments of hippocampal network oscillations in AD. The last study in the synaptic transmission category is by Calvo Flores Guzman and Kwakowski. And its title is Amyloid Beta 1-42 Induced Increase in GABAergic Tonic Conductance in Mouse Hippocampal CA1 Pyramidal Cells. And it was published in Molecules. So the authors showed that hippocampal injection of A-beta 1-42 is sufficient to induce cognitive deficit seven days post-injection. Using in vitro whole cell patch clamping, they demonstrate an increased inhibitory GABAergic tonic conductance mediated by extrasynaptic type A GABA receptors recorded in the CA1 region of the mouse hippocampus, and again this is following A-beta-142 microinjection. Some alterations in GABA neurotransmission and or inhibitory GABA-A receptors could have a significant impact on both hippocampal structure and function, causing excitatory to inhibitory balance disruption and potentially contributing to cognitive deficits in AD. So next we'll move on to some studies in the autophagy category. So these are studies exploring the role of autophagy in AD. And the first study here is beta-2 adrenergic agonists rescue lysosome acidification and function in presenilin-1 deficiency by reversing defective ER to lysosome delivery of CIC7. And the authors are Lee and last author Nixon. And this was published in the Journal of Molecular Biology. So in this study, given that presenilin-1, or PSEN-1, loss of function can result in pathogenic lysosomal dysfunction by impeding acidification, the authors sought to rescue this pathogenic feature. So they found that isoproteranol and related beta-2 adrenergic agonists restores normal autophagic flux, lysosomal proteolysis, and calcium homeostasis in PSEN1 knockout cells, as well as fibroblasts from PSEN1 familial AD patients. They discovered that the mechanism involved protein kinase A-mediated facilitation of chloride channel C, which is uh, CIC7, delivery to lysosomes, restoring the chloride content in PSEN1 knockout lysosomes, and thereby reacidifying them. 
They also found that PSEN1 loss reduced chloride channel 7 transport from the ER to lysosomes. And it was here where isoprot... Why do I have such a hard time with that word? Isoproteranol was able to rescue the function. This beta-2 adrenergic modulation of chloride channel 7 is a potential new route for compensating for PSEN1 loss of function in AD. Alright, so the next study is entitled AMPK activation does not enhance autophagy in neurons in contrast to mTORC1 inhibition, different impact on amyloid beta clearance. And this is by Benito Cuesta and last author Juan Docell, and it was published in Autophagy. So the purpose of the present study was to characterize the modulation of autophagy by mTORC1 and AMPK signaling pathways in neurons, as well as their repercussions on A-beta or amyloid beta production. Using a double transgenic mouse model of AD, the authors demonstrated that mTORC1 inhibition, either in vivo or ex vivo, so this is in primary neuronal cultures, was able to reduce amyloid secretion through moderate autophagy induction in neurons. The pharmacological prevention of autophagy in neurons augmented the A-beta secretion and reversed the effects of rapamycin, confirming the anti-amyloidogenic effects of autophagy in neurons. Inhibition of AMPK with compound C generated the expected decrease in autophagy injection, though surprisingly did not increase the A-beta secretion. In contrast, increased activity of AMPK with metformin, AICAR, 2DG, or by gene overexpression did not enhance autophagy, but had different effects on A-beta secretion whereas metformin and 2-DG diminished the secreted A-beta levels, AICAR and PRKAA1 AMPK gene overexpression increased them. The researchers conclude that AMPK has a significantly different role in primary neurons than in other reported cells, lacking a direct effect on autophagy-induced amyloidosis. All right, so lastly, we have a study, a computational study entitled Computational Modeling of the Effects of Autophagy on Amyloid Beta Peptide Levels. This is by first author Han, last author Choi, and was published in Theoretical Biology and Medical Modeling. So with the aim of elucidating how A-beta and autophagy are intertwined in the context of AD, this group developed a mathematical model of autophagy with respect to A-beta kinetics and performed a series of simulations. They found that when there is an increased A-beta generation coupled with defective autophagic A-beta degradation, the concentration of autophagosomes and autolysosomes increases, which may further clog neurons in the context of AD. That's a short and sweet summary to round off the autophagy section. You are listening to our episode on disease mechanisms of Alzheimer's disease. Thank you for tuning in with us. We hope this podcast is useful to you and that you'll continue to follow our episodes. Was this helpful? Did any paper catch your interest? Is there something we can do better? We'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach us at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe.
Follow the steps in the episode description to receive the reference list of the papers we covered. Until next time!